Creativo Raíces presenta su programa Espejos de Aztlán Información, Arte, Cultura Bienvenidos Nancy Lopez, Professor of Sociology, Director of Institute for Race and Social Justice and African Studies Faculty Affiliate at the University of New Mexico. We'll talk about the brutality and cruelty of police officers on George Floyd, but also about how is it related with the previous hundred years of slavery and intentional segregation and institutionalized racism. For Espejos de Aztlán, Cristina Bachín today. Vamos a estar hoy con la doctora Nancy López, profesora de Sociología y directora del Instituto de la Raza y de la Justicia Social y Estudios Africanos o Africanas y, y profesora afiliada de el Estudios Africanas o Africanos en la Universidad de Nuevo México. Hablaremos con ella acerca de la brutalidad y la crueldad de la policía respecto a George Floyd. Pero también queremos conversar con ella sobre cómo esto se relaciona con nuestra historia, los cientos de años de esclavismo y segregación y racismo institucionalizado. Para Espejos de Aztlán hoy, Cristina Bachín. Welcome, Dr. Nancy López. Gracias, Cristina, por hablar sobre este tema tan importante y por abrir este espacio para hablar sobre cosas que son incómodas, pero a la misma vez tenemos que confrontar para avanzar los derechos humanos. En particular, tenemos que hablar sobre la antinegritud que existe no solamente en este país, pero también dentro de nuestras familias, especialmente las familias latinas, y um, cómo vamos a pregar con eso para mejorar la sociedad para todos. Por ejemplo, tenemos que entender que raza es un estatus social, no tiene nada que ver con ADN, no es igual que cultura, tampoco es igual que uh, descendencia ni nada de eso. Tiene que ver con los, cómo las personas han sido tratadas por la forma en la cual le asignan meanings based on your physical appearance. En otras palabras, dependiendo de lo que uno, del color de la piel, de su... Um, rasgos físicos, es, es un trato distinto que se le da a la persona y tenemos que bregar con eso. Así es que uh, también tenemos que entender que el racismo no es solamente personal, como por ejemplo en el caso de un policía uh, abusando su poder y tratando a una persona como si fuera, no fuera un ser humano, como en el caso que hablamos ahora sobre George Floyd, pero también tenemos que entender que es algo institucional que sucede no solo uh, dentro de la policía, pero también dentro de nuestras instituciones de educación, la economía, los mercados laborales, la política sobre inmigración, 
y también en vivienda. Así es que tenemos que entender que hay muchos niveles de uh, racismo y también es algo que se internaliza por las personas y se puede, um, hay soluciones a todos esos, esos niveles. En esta situación que, en la que estamos en estas semanas en Estados Unidos, hubo un acontecimiento en particular que fue la brutalidad respecto a George Floyd, en especial de, de la policía. Y eso ha disparado una reacción social muy impactante, que al menos en mi caso es la primera vez que testimonio en este país. No solamente en este país, es algo que ha impactado globalmente, porque también globalmente hay protestas respecto a este, a, esta, a este tratamiento, a esta brutalidad que testimoniamos y visualizamos a través de los medios sociales y los medios masivos de comunicación. No es la primera vez que acontece algo así. ¿Qué es lo que crees que está pasando en nuestras sociedades y en nuestra sociedad en particular en Estados Unidos? Después podemos hablar de Nuevo México si, si tenemos tiempo. ¿Qué crees que haya podido disparar una reacción tan impactante como la que estamos viviendo? Como señalaste, esto no es la primera vez. Tenemos 400, 500 años de abusos en las Américas y en los Estados Unidos específicamente sobre los cuerpos negros, también los cuerpos indígenas, los cuerpos de personas inmigrantes, etc. Así es que um, actualmente estamos viviendo en una crisis económica que, y de salud pública que um, ha llevado al, a nivel nacional un discurso sobre desigualdad. Entonces, por ejemplo, cuando vemos las cifras que señalan que personas negras latinas son impactadas más que um, la población blanca en los Estados Unidos con el COVID-19, con el COVID-19. Sabemos que esto no tiene nada otra vez que ver con biología. Tiene que ver con diferencias de desigualdad estructurales que están poniendo a estas poblaciones, especialmente nuestra población aquí en Nuevo México, indígena, Zenei, Navajo, expuestas a, a todas las... Um, los peligros que vienen con el COVID-19. Entonces creo que tiene que ver mucho con lo que está pasando, no solo en términos del racismo estructural que ha existido por muchos años, pero también como están sucediendo otras cosas que están llevando a un discurso nacional. El hecho que es una cuestión de derechos humanos, que no tenemos um, salud o, o seguro médico para todo el mundo, que muchas personas no pueden um, tener suficiente para comer, no tienen vivienda segura, no tienen las necesidad, necesidades básicas. Entonces esto fue como otro, otro reconocimiento de que también hay una situación de racismo antinegro enorme, con una historia demasiado grande. Y creo que ahora las personas se están dando cuenta que no podemos seguir en el camino que vamos. El estatus quo no puede seguir. Tenemos que hacer algo distinto, algo para clarificar que somos seres humanos, que de, tenemos derechos de vivir en libertad, en, de vivir con justicia, de vivir como seres humanos. Así es que creo que tiene que ver mucho con todo lo que está sucediendo, pero 
me da esperanza pensar que ahora ha, hay un discurso que no solamente, que ha, siempre ha estado dentro de las comunidades marginadas, pero que ahora también por los movimientos sociales que están sucediendo actualmente, poder no va a conceder nada si no hay una lucha. Así es que me acuerdo que la um, jueza Sonia Sotomayor vino a la, a la Universidad de Nuevo México hace como seis años y caminó en, en una presentación que habían como 300 personas y miró a todo el mundo en los ojos y le dijo, sí, las leyes son importantes, por ejemplo, las leyes sobre derechos civiles, pero a la misma vez, si no nos organizamos, no es suficiente. Y eso lo, te, lo tomé a, a pecho porque me puse a pensar, el hecho es que si no habían visto, uh, si no habían uh, movimientos sobre derechos civiles, derechos um, para seres humanos, yo no estuviera en la universidad. Así es que sabemos que hay un papel que todos podemos jugar en avanzar la justicia. Just tuning in, we are today with Dr. Nancy Lopez, Professor of Sociology and Director of Institute for Race and Social Justice at the University of New Mexico. And this is Cristina Bachin for Espejos de Slan. We are talking today about what's happening these uh, weeks and uh, especially the events that were triggered by police brutality against an African-American, George Floyd. Dr. Nancy Lopez, how is it all this linked with racism in New Mexico? Doctora Nancy Lopez, estamos hablando ahora sobre, en particular, el, el evento el que disparó todo esta impactante reacción social, pero en especial quisiera conversar sobre el racismo en Nuevo México. ¿Cómo usted ve la situación en Nuevo México? Es una pregunta clave. It's a, such an important question to think about what is happening in our backyard. It's one thing to think about what's happening at the national level in terms of anti-blackness, in terms of institutionalized racism, personally mediated racism, and internalized racism. But it's another thing to say, we are going to actually name the problem in our own backyard. And we are going to think about the solutions and then institute policies that make us accountable. So in the case of New Mexico, I'm sure you know that there was a recent case, the Yazi Martinez, a consolidated case, charging the state of New Mexico for not providing sufficient education to English language learners, Native American students, low-income students, Hispanic students, etc. And that is one example of um, what we would love to refer to as solidarity among groups that have traditionally been excluded from, all, from full participation in our institutions. And in this case, it was a Latino student and a Native American student and their families saying, Our schools are not providing sufficient education. Nationally, there's uh, an effort to institute ethnic studies, critical race intersectional ethnic studies that's taking into consideration 
the long legacy of structural racism, settler colonialism, patriarchy, heterosexism, ableism, and is seeking to empower students and teachers and community in a way that centers community wealth, centers the voice of the community in terms of solving all these long and historic problems. So I see um, education as one place where we have an opportunity to deal with long and historic um, and contemporary forms of anti-Blackness, anti-indigeneity and, and um, indigenous sovereignty. But also we can think about our health services as another area where we can make an enormous amount of progress. Our zoning laws, are they reproducing structural inequities among families that are um, that have been excluded from wealth asset building? So thinking about new ways that we can address these long-term problems. We love to talk about poverty. We love to talk about the disadvantage, but we seldom talk about the racialized wealth gap that's gendered as well, and how we can address fundamental causes of the health disparities that we see, fundamental causes of the inequities in employment, fundamental causes of the inequities in education. And this will make us stronger. We can be leaders in the nation. In fact, there are several states that have instituted policies that specifically require that any law or any policy that is proposed at the state level, at the municipal level, undergo a critical analysis in terms of institutionalized racism, et cetera. And so when I think about the potential here in New Mexico to do something that would actually create opportunity for all, I'm excited. And I'll mention one example is that currently the funding formula for the New Mexico Department of Higher Ed assumes that Pell status, whether one is um, coming from a low-income background or qualifying for financial aid, is sufficient of a measure to address racialized and, and gendered inequities in education. And the empirical evidence shows that it's not. I actually did do a study that looked at uh, almost a decade's worth of data that shows class is not a proxy for racial or, or gendered gaps in graduating from college. What we need is a funding formula that actually recognizes intersectionality or the idea that race, gender, and class as systems of inequality are simultaneous and that that produces different um, opportunity structures and barriers for people. So I see a lot of hope. I think that it's, it takes courage to look at New Mexico and say, we have an ability to do something different. The status quo is not acceptable anymore. Dr. Nancy Lopez, um, that's uh, one of the answers for one of my questions, if there is a way to build and establish a just and lasting peace among ourselves. We as community, and also from the point of view of our listeners, what can we do as steps to help uh, to build a process of healing and social justice in New Mexico. What's your opinion about that? I know there are many things we can do, but uh, let's uh, throw something to our table, our uh, conversation about, uh, we are both women and I really trust in our practical common sense. <laughs> so, um, and um, what can we do? Well, I think 
part of it is changing the discourse to really center human rights. I think that's one part of it. But the other part is money is policy. So let's look at our policies in terms of the allocation of resources at our our schools, at, you know, um, whether it's housing, whether it's criminal justice or whatever it is. Let's actually have a deep discussion about where our resources are going and how can we address fundamental causes of inequities like the wealth gap. So I have colleagues, um, one, uh, Derek Hamilton is at Ohio State and he runs the Kirwan Institute for Race and Justice. And then um, William Darity, who's at Duke University and he runs uh, he directs a program on uh, social equity. And they both authored a piece called um, Will Baby Bonds you know, um, Eliminate the Racialized wealth, wealth Gap? And part of what they argue is, imagine if we had a policy in our state that said, if you are born into a family that has low wealth, your child will get a bond that by the time they're 18 can use that to start a business, to buy a home, or to go to college. Could we eliminate centuries of inequities that are due to differences in wealth? How will that change the um, health outcomes? How will that change the intergenerational wealth transfers that are happening in families? So I think, yes, we do need to change the narrative so that we're focusing on human rights like health, housing, food, freedom to walk the streets without being harassed and to um, enjoy life our human rights. And if we change the narrative to focus on human rights and eliminating structural inequities, whether um, they're, they're due to settler colonialism and what has happened to our indigenous brothers and sisters, to our um, black brothers and sisters, immigrant Latinx brown skin brothers and sisters that are harassed every day, the anti-Muslim sentiment that has happened here in this country and, and racist violence that has happened then we can begin to create harmony and flexible solidarity. Um, one of uh, the sociologists that writes about this is Patricia Hill Collins in Black Feminist Thought, Black Women and the Search for Freedom. And she talks about when Black women are free, we will all be free. And so as a Black Latina, as a daughter of Dominican immigrants who was raised in public housing in New York City in the 1970s and 80s, I know what structural oppression has done to our communities. And I know that there are solutions to it, whether it's in New Mexico, whether it's in California, Chicago, or New York. You were talking about we need to add the narrative of human rights in our society. Well, thank you again for this opportunity. I'm so grateful to be able to speak on these topics. I think the first thing that we can do is focus on our spheres of influence. So we have family and friends, number one. We also have workplaces. We also might belong to some organizations that have been working on this for a long time. Think about what ways you can contribute. What two, maybe even three things can you do? Short-term and long-term. One very short-term um, thing that you can do is work to make sure that we have a complete count for the 2020 census. As you know, the deadline has been extended to October 31st because of the COVID crisis. So think about two or three people that you know that might be, especially in that category of people who are 
most likely to be undercounted because they may be immigrant and afraid, or maybe they don't understand why the census is so important for voting rights representation, not only nationally, but also locally, and what that will mean for resources for your community for the next 10 years at least, if not more, and also reminding people there is no citizenship question, that that data are confidential for 72 years, and that anyone who does reveal your information will be subject to five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. So that's one immediate. But long-term, think about how, again, anti-Blackness might be happening in your own community, in your own family, and how you can start changing the narrative and also think about what you could do in the workplace. Think about some of the policies and practices that need to change. If you work in a school, think about the curriculum, whose voices are marginalized and considered elective, and whose voices are centered, and what ways is professional development or even the standards that are used to evaluate um, an annual review for work, whether you're in a hospital, whether you're in a school, whether you are in a law firm, or even in a service industry. Are there ways in which we can start these conversations and also create policies and practices and shift the culture? Another thing for you to think about is all the organizations that have been working on this for generations, I mean, for centuries and decades. Is there one that you could contribute your time to? Is there one that you can share some resources with? Is there a national organization that you want to belong to? There are multiple ways. I think protests are incredibly important. There's also other things that we can engage in that work towards these goals of human rights and liberation and justice for all. I really want to thank your time and uh, I hope to see you soon. Gracias, Cristina. Un placer siempre. Lo mismo digo. Gracias, Nancy.